0: You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Booth Review. Another
1: episode of Booth Review. We are back to talk about the defense. What's up, everybody? Kent Swanson here with my guy, Brandon McGanderson, BMAC. Great to have you here, as, as always, man. Excited to be doing the show with you.
2: Yeah, man. So excited to be on here, ready to talk Kansas football and, and get down to some of the things I'm super interested in for the upcoming season. Well, super interested is the right word. Because, like, last week we talked about the offense, and, you know,
1: with the offense, there's so many known commodities. It's just a matter of, like, how bigger, faster, stronger these do some of these guys get. One more year in the system, it's some of the boring storylines, even though we know, hey, that team's going to light up the scoreboard. But the defense... Is the, is the interesting side of the ball because I think there's more unknowns about this side of the ball relative to what we've seen with the offensive side of the football. And BMAC, I want to start with this. I Before we get too far down the, the rabbit hole on the defensive side of the ball, and I think there's plenty of stuff to talk about for sure, I want to just make a blanket statement off the top. I know a lot of people had comments about Brian Borland's defense and – You know, hey, you know, they're putting him under the microscope and saying, you know, some stuff about him, like he should be gone and all this stuff. You're not going to find very many stronger Brian Borland defenders than me because I don't have a problem with what I saw schematically on game days last week or last year. I I actually kind of appreciate the approach that he took. I think it's smart strategy, especially with the kind of offense that he has on the other side of the ball. I think. There was a strong attempt to try to play some complimentary football. I think his schematic approach, his defensive approach, I don't have a ton of issues with it, and I I'm just more excited to see what he has another year in the system, more developed bodies, you know, uh, a deeper roster on the defensive side of the ball. I'm I'm very excited to see what Brian Borland and staff can do with this version of the Kansas Jayhawks.
2: Absolutely, you know, sometimes I would watch from the sideline, and you have your version of how you experience the game, and then you have to go back and watch it. (laughs) You know, So part of it is like, I'm at the game, I'm having an experience, what's going on here? Why is this guy not? Go back and watch the film, you're like, hmm, that guy's in the right place. That guy's where he's supposed to be. That guy read it the right way. So now it was more, what you started to notice was just lack of execution. Mm -hmm. What you started to notice was favorable down and distance. You know, there's a lot of stuff that a lot of defensive coordinators want to do. But if you're in third and two, you can't do it. You know, if you're in third and four, you can't do it because those are run pass downs. And I mean, even in stretching to the NFL now that some some of the schematics and some of the little gadget schemes, those third and four and unders are not fun for defensive coordinators. So you see different strategies of how people want to handle it, whether it be aggression or base defense. What I like about what they're doing is teaching base defense learning based defense, executing base defense, getting in favorable down a distance, then I'll get cute. You know, you, then I can get cute and start to pull some of these uh, these packages out where I've got this guy doing this and that. that's not where they are right now. So that is a luxury item that mm-hmm. we just didn't get to see. There's something to be said about earning the right to rush the passer.
1: You know, and it is a lot of the early down, you know, nitty gritty, doing the work, taking care of business, being sound, being structurally sound, making the tackles, so you get those opportunities to pin your ears back and have a little bit of fun on third down. Get the crowd, get the crowd ramped up, you know, because they know that you know that that something fun's coming because they're going to bring some kind of you know exotic pressure. They able to get a little bit more unique with what they're trying to do on the defensive side of the ball, and you know. But when I look at what you know Brian Brian Borland last year, and like and it, you, it's funny you talk a little bit about the NFL too because I think what you're seeing a lot of times. Um, especially with how good the quarterbacks are getting and how good offenses are starting to get is there's a lot more willingness to give up stuff, you know, between the twenties, you know, there's a lot more willingness to, you know, force long sustained drives, r- limit explosive plays, get a little bit more creative in the, in the, in the red zone, try to, you know, try to keep it at field goals. Those are considered wins now in, in, in modern football where maybe that wasn't necessarily the case back in the day. And so, um I I tend to think and you know, I I, I spent a lot of time covering the NFL, but I, I look at I look at college football and I say, you know what? I don't think it's a bad strategy to force college kids to be consistent right. up and down the field. And I think the premium on reducing explosive explosive plays is a is a valuable thing, you know, especially if you're able to make consistent tackling and be sound from underneath. So I like a top down approach, especially when you're playing between the top twenties, because forcing college kids, and college quarterbacks to be consistent, it
2: can be a winning strategy a lot of weeks. Yeah. And, you know, this. um, I've got a couple of historical references for you. Uh Uh-oh. You kind of think about it this way. Kansas closes the end of that season one with some big-time fireworks from J.D., and they end up winning a, a shootout and then being competitive in a couple other games. That was the offensive trajectory. The defensive trajectory is different. You know, they've had productive games. You've seen where and why their strategy would work. Iowa State is a good example of us. They played a style of play, played a lot of base defense, cover four, keep it underneath and tackle. Yep, It worked. Um, they had other games where they were able to do that. They were able to play and pace the game and get stops and win on the defensive end. So you've seen that they're able to execute it. To me, the big issue is yards per carry on defense. It's just, it's a big indicator of allowing you to play a different style of defense. Mm -hmm. So as taking another historical reference back to my career, 2003, I was a redshirt. We had a bottom five defense in the country. Coach Gino was putting John Randall at corner. That's how we discovered Charles Gordon was a corner. It was actually that whole process because we couldn't do anything. So Charles started playing both ways. John Rios started playing both ways. And obviously it was a, a position that Charles got to play on Sundays. But that was kind of the beginning of it. They took that basically the same team in 03, put them in 04, added a couple edge pieces like a Jamal Ashley, um, you know, a couple back end pieces, a Rodney Harris and safety, but not a lot of change. And that defense went from bottom five to top 30. And the biggest indicator was yards per carry. It went from well over five and a half yards per carry to just, just at 3.3. And that was something that they continued to decrease into those 05 seasons where our was really strong. So there are a lot of similarities between those teams and what they did and what this team can do, bringing back a lot of the same guys.
1: Well, and you talk about college quarterbacks enforcing consistency. And we have, you know, on the NFL side, you know, the run game becomes, it's it's considered a lot more devalued than, than the college game. And to some degree, the college game has a lot more variability and can be, a bigger asset in the college game than at, you know, sometimes it's treated in the NFL. Right. So you see some of these college teams with a lot of productivity on the ground. And it's like, and it's so right. And I think it's a bigger point of emphasis when you look at the college side of football specifically is run games can, can tear teams up differently than it's, than it's able to at the national football league. And, you know, just seeing like there, there, there can be, insane amounts of production if you if you aren't gap sound in gap integrity and, and something even just simple things like you know the hash marks can create some some more spacing you know for some for some offense to operate with it so you're absolutely right that early down run defense and just run defense in general i think is a high priority um and it's like and again it's you know some teams will spread you out and run some teams will you know tighten it up you've got to be able to guard things differently you have to be more diverse schematically and I mean it's it's a big point of emphasis no doubt about it and honestly I I, I feel like we've heard Brian Borland talk about the emphasis on on stopping the run well it's because of the variability that you can see from you know consi- from a consistency perspective from a college quarterback and I, I don't I don't hate the idea of forcing teams to be one thing if you can be you know emphasize taking something away I understand why you would just try to get get, get stopping the run
2: as the priority. Yeah, and I, I like it as a teaching principle to begin with because basically you're saying, okay, you can't play base defense, but now you want me to be exotic and you want me to bring people off and you want me to expose people in coverage? No thanks. So it's honestly, a like you mentioned, a top-down approach. It's saying there's all these things that I can do. I'm just, I can't right now because we haven't learned how to play the basic way of defense. So I think there's a lot of strength to it. And I think what happens when you get older players, I mean, if you looked at the depth chart for what we expect it to be, I mean, Tommy Dunn Jr. is the only non-junior. I think he's a third-year sophomore. So Mm -hmm. you're talking about a much older team being asked to do something very basic. Occupy your gap. Don't be over-tempted to make plays because you've seen it at the NFL level because that's where you see it the most is that a tiny mistake is massive. You know, just I'm, I show up where I'm supposed to be. I'm outside leverage. We always tell defenders your outside arm has to be free. I show up, my outside arm is free, but man, that tackle looks delicious. So you'll see these guys get to where they're supposed to be, and then they'll grab and they'll swim. And then if you swim, that's B. John Robinson on the other side of that. (laughs) That's Deuce Vaughn on the other side of that. So they're expecting you to gamble, and they're going to take advantage of that and turn a gap that's this big into a run that's this big. And that's really what the run game is. That's why it is so. You just have to be consistent in terms of hitting your gaps. If my gap, if the ball is in my gap, I got to tackle. I got to tackle for loss. I got to sack. If it's not, I have to just do my job and, and you know, depend on everybody else in the team.
1: You just got done talking about Tommy Dunn Jr. There's a bunch of players I want to talk about with you. But first, Home Fields can't miss kickoff is here to make sure, sure you are ready for the 2023 football season in style. Can't miss kickoff begins. August 21st with exclusive long-awaited bomber jacket offerings celebrating some of college football's fiercest rivalries in addition to an extremely special Jack Trice offering made in sponsorship with Iowa State to honor the legacy of one of college football's most important heroic figures. New customers can get 15% off their order on any of the home field apparel, not just the bomber jackets, any apparel when you use promo code NOSEATS23. That's the Ku promo. You're gonna get all kinds of of really awesome uh, Ku gear. I got a sweatshirt on the way. I know B Max got a sweatshirt on on the way. I know you got a t-shirt, an orange bowl t-shirt on the way. We got all kinds of great stuff coming uh, from Home Field Apparel. You'll be seeing us rocking it during the season uh, here on Booth Review and on the KCSN channel. Obviously, the eight no seats guys are gonna be rocking as well. That's why you use promo code No Seats twenty three off of your for uh, 15% off of your KU apparel. So make sure you check that out. We're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this.
0: Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network.
1: BMac, I'm really excited to talk to you about specific players on this defense. You know, because I, I think, you know, obviously there's some really talented guys on on that team and we saw some really fun um, some players that are returning. But there's also there's newer names. You know there's newer names involved on the defensive side of the ball differently than what we're seeing on offense. You know it's, if some people are excited about the quote unquote new toys, right? It's it's on the defensive side this year. And I want to start with the defensive line because that's one of the big. You know I think a lot of people saw it as a question mark because there was a lot of turnover on the defensive line. Um, you know you you lose Lonnie Phelps. You know to to the NFL, um, but you lose guys like Sam Burt uh Caleb Sampson you know off the team you know he, they they move on so let's talk a little bit about this front you know let's there's some newer names uh and there's also some older names that have probably stepped up in a big way tell me a little bit about who you're excited to see on the defensive line
2: this year well the two interior guys you talk about new toys you got a guy like Devin Phillips who he doesn't really seem like a new toy because he is at the end of his career he's a you know he's a grad transfer man this guy his explosiveness the weight the way he shifts his weight forward Uh, on contact, you know, a lot of teams in the Big 12 are zone teams where they're trying to move that front. This is a guy that will be moving with you, but he will definitely be in control. You know, what I like about the combination of him and Tommy Dunn Jr. is traditional size. Mm. So These guys are not in-between guys. These guys are traditional inside linemen uh, for the Big 12 that have the athletic profile to get separation off that guard and run down that line. We talked about, you know, where a running back is looking. If, as I'm a running back and I want to go to a certain gap, I want that D lineman's head on the side opposite where I'm going. So if I'm going to stretch, I want that D lineman to take a look. But where those D linemen can get you in trouble, guys like James McClinton, guys like Tommy Dunn Jr., which I think he will be able to do, is that they can get separation. They can peek their head here and, woof, and rip away and still make plays. I saw Tommy Dunn Jr. do this to Michael Ford Jr. last year in camp where he and this was from a nose position, outside zone to his side, locking up with that guard, creating separation, and then having the athletic ability to run that line. I think this is a big time pro prospect and a guy that's just scraping the surface of what he might become, you know, and that's just a deep group. You know, you've seen with Brian Borland, they played six or seven guys last year. Mm-hmm. So it, it reminds me a little bit of the wide receiver group from the previous season. Mm-hmm. So it was guys that we have seen, guys that we had liked, but guys that we had not seen in these roles. And there was no questions about the wide receivers after, what, week two? So I think we'll see something similar on the inside of that defensive line.
1: I really liked, you know, there was we got a limited sample size to Tommy Dunn Jr. last year. And I I do agree. with There was definitely traits that intrigued you about what you just saw in a limited capacity. I think he wound up with, like, seven tackles on the season or something like that. But he saw a little, you know, he had kind of a, a smaller role last year. But, yeah, the limited exposure that we got to him, yeah, there was reason for optimism. He looked a little bit different. He moved a little bit different than some of the guys that you saw taking, you know, taking, you know, uh, you know, the the primary snaps. And I mean, look, there's a lot of experience that that has walked out the door, but it kind of seems like they've replaced that for a lot more athleticism. And you look at Tommy Dunn Jr., you know, the the track record that a gauge keys has coming from Minnesota. Uh you talked a little bit about Devin Phillips, the limited snaps. That dude, that dude looks like a brick house. Yeah. Like just just a different type of guy that they have manning the interior of that defense. Do you think, you know, it kind of felt like a lot of times there was a lot of a lot of point of attack, just holding the point of attack up front a little bit on the front. Do you think we're going to play a little bit more? You're going to see him play a little bit more in the gaps? I know they tried to do that a little bit more last, like first year it was, hey, we're going to try to, you know, we're going to try to hold up in a little bit of two gap, but just kind of try to hold point of attack. Last year, a little bit more intentionality to try to get upfield, but maybe didn't necessarily have the same kind of athleticism. We think
2: we're going to see KU getting up the field a little bit more with this front along the interior. I do. There's two ways. There's two ways to go about protecting your linebacker. One is having a two gap guy. Yep. So if you're not trusting your linebackers, you think they need more assistance and they're having trouble getting off blocks, you want your defensive alignment to kind of lock on, hold on as long as they can, and allow your linebackers to run those gaps. But what you're going to see in this group, I believe, with guys like Gage Keys, up to 285, clock you run 20 miles per hour. So this guy, this is a Minnesota transfer guy, has big-time upside. Um, Caleb Taylor is a guy that's always felt like he was on the brink of something special. He hasn't quite got there. He's still here. Um, You got guys like uh, DJ Withers, who's got that great swim move, good up-the-field pass rush inside guy that that serves a role and hopefully takes another big step himself. So to me, you just have talent, you have versatility, and now it's about, okay, can these guys make plays? Because that's what you see with a James McClinton. So if you're looking for defensive similarities, they run a lot of the same defenses we ran. We ran four three. We ran a lot of base cover four. So it helps you see, okay, you can win playing this defense. Here's a here's a you know, an all-American nose tackle, defense, defensive tackle, and James McClinton that just played the gaps, really worked with get off and crazy active hands. You can see a lot of those similarities. And I think you're gonna see the defense line more as playmakers in the run game. And you'll see that there's going to be more to think about for that offensive line in terms of getting off to linebacker. So I think it just kind of muddies up the look, gives them more complexity. Edge, the edge group's a lot different than it
1: was this time last year too. Um, The biggest returning name for me is Jeremy Robinson. Mm -hmm. I've maintained, I think Jeremy Robinson has the kind of profile to be a Sunday guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got length, he's got density that you don't, you know, that's not super common. Uh, and then he, but the, the ability to, to turn a corner, some some yeah. flexibility through his fl- frame. It's not normal for a guy that of his size. Those are the kind of traits that are intriguing as a Sunday type kid. I think he could wind up being, you know, a, a prospect and getting some looks here, you know, as soon as this year. Um, yeah. he, he showed some, he showed some promise last year, some ability up the arc. You know, you saw the play I think he made against Baylor. Um, this is, this is the guy I'm looking to is, I think the guy that can take the biggest step at the defensive end group and really make a big impact, you know, kind of down in and down out.
2: Yeah, he's got a timeliness to his game that I think is a little overlooked. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about not just the play that he made at Baylor, but the, the moment that he made the play was huge. Yeah. The game was very close to getting out of hand, and that was a game that that swung the tide. The play that swung the tide in that game you think about his big play at Houston where he dips inside, dips outside, gets the, the sack fumble and the recovery. That was right after that was right after offensive score. And mm-hmm. that kind of slammed the door on them. So he has leadership traits and qualities. I mean, you interview him and he's just a super impressive guy. You see him and he's got all the physical gifts. I think it's now just about opportunity and looking around that defense and seeing there is nobody as good as me. So it's time for me to kind of step up and be that guy. i I'm like you. I'm ready to see number 90 be very special. Now, I've told you about Hayden Hatcher and some of his weight gain. Yeah. Uh, how much physically he's improved over the offseason. With that 8, 10 pounds of muscle, how different of a player do you think he can be in terms of making an impact?
1: Well, and I'd I tell you what. Since you talked to me about him, I've been kind of creeping on KU's athletic stuff to, like, any videos to try to see if I can find Eclipse of Hayden H- Hatcher's rework body. I think I saw Jeremy Robinson cut up and there there was Hayden Hatcher looking, you know, real dense. And yeah, he definitely has, you know, a different physical profile to him. I, you know, for him, you know, I think it's just playing consistency, again. you know, just playing a, a consistent down in down out football. And he kind of always seemed like a guy like I definitely think he has some ability up the arc for sure. And like, I think he can kind of threaten that. I don't think he's quite as flexible as Jeremy Robinson, but high effort and I think a pretty good first step. But also that weight is probably going to help him be more consistent against the run and more, earn more opportunities, right? And so he's always just like... Yeah. I think he's got a kind of pretty Like how he's built is kind of stocky, like a little bit more lower center of gravity. It almost feels like the way he's kind of built. I don't know if he has like the longest arms, but I do think he's really pretty sound at the point of attack for not being the longest guy. So like there's going to be some players that are going to give him troubles, you know, with, with tackle length at times. But sounds sturdy... And earning opportunities, like, it's kind of the same. Hey, early down work could help you, you know, get some opportunities to rush the passer as the down go – or as the possession goes on. Anything else? I I would say – I want to hear from you on this guy because I know this is one of the guys you're hyped about.
2: I just think he's a very good option. You know, if you think about the way people play defensive line now, you know, you're seeing guys that are – they're playing – too deep in every position at least oh for sure you know and sometimes a third guy getting another 15 or 10 percent of the staff you know depending on the how guys are doing up front and he's just a great option you know he's a great option because you know he's gonna play really hard he's a great option because he probably can't play three downs because he's exhausted you know from the first two downs you know he can probably be a guy that could be a good situational pass rusher like you mentioned you know maybe you do have a better option in the run maybe it's uh You know, one of the transfers from uh, Minnesota or the Auburn transfer, the Miami, there's a lot of guys there, you know, on the edge. So he's just a good, solid option to take snaps and to give effort and to keep pushing those guys, the the talented guys they have in that group. Well, that's, this is something I'm kind of curious about. When I look at the roster construction
1: of the defensive end group, I look at Dylan Brooks and Patrick Joyner, uh, even Damien Westmoreland to some Mm -hmm. degree. I don't like, I'm curious how they're going to use, like, who's going to be the base down? Like, who's going to be, like, and so, like, I look at Hayden Hatcher, and, like, from a density perspective, and, like, you know, like, what you've seen in a limited capacity, like, I feel like, you know, he's, he's sound, he's just assignment sound, like, that was something that kind of stuck out to me last year. I mean, is he, is he going to be the base down guy, or do you think they have somebody that's going to be able to hold up on the base downs, or is it just going to be Hayden Hatcher?
2: See, I think it'll work itself out that way, but the way that Hayden Hatcher works and the way that they reward hard work, I could see him still being the starter. Okay. And then, you know, probably in the meat of the game, they probably will make a sub when they're running the ball. But, you know, when that game's on the line, he's going to be in because you, you're going to want a speed guy for those pass rush situations. And that's kind of the beauty of the position is that it's it's a position to be won. And, you know, that means that if I go out and perform and I get production, maybe my chances go from getting 25% of the snaps to 50 to 60 so I think that's going to be a – it's going to be a situation that changes week to week, and maybe Hayden Hatcher shuts us all up and says, no, I'm here now, you know, so I'm about to be that guy. So that's that's what you're always hoping about. When you have that competition, that open space, you're hoping that Hayden Hatcher says, nope, my job. You know, but if there isn't, they got options. Like you mentioned, Joyner, Brooks, um, Booker, you know, they got options. It's just a matter of who's going to be the productive guy who's going to stand up because, once again, that receiver parallel, you know Lawrence Arnold was a guy where you were like, I like Lawrence, but uh, Lawrence left no doubt. <laughs> L.J. left with doubt that he was the go-to guy that you that you need on a third down. That's what you want to see from that DN group.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 a little fascinated from that perspective. Like I really like what they have along the interior from a you know strength and density perspective. I'm just schematically and personnel wise, I'm just kind of curious. You know if they try to run at whoever's lining up op- opposite Jamie Rungate, uh, Jamie Robinson, Gage Keys, Devin Phillips. I'm. Whoever whoever's lined up opposite, I just wonder if they're gonna try to try to run at that guy a little bit and what the answers for KU are if that does happen. Because it does feel just like profile wise, Hatcher's probably the best fit, but if it's not him, you know, I, I know like I know some people are really excited about Austin Booker too. Yep. So like what 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 have
2: you seen, or what do you think about Austin Booker and your like limited exposure to him? So in the when I was checking in with the staff in the spring, he was a guy that you know, was just getting his beak wet, just arrived on campus, just getting to know the process and the hard work and the system, and it's been basically a night and day review in terms of how he's doing in the fall. Mm. Now he's a little bit more comfortable. You talk and you want to talk about physical traits. I mean, uh, there's not one that he doesn't possess. Yeah. You know, so he's he's an impressive looking guy. He's got all the skills you'd want to see. He just needs confidence. He needs production to kind of substantiate some of those skills. I think you'll get some
1: opportunities for sure, because like just looking at that athletic profile that he had walking in there, that's it's it, it, you're right. Like just getting to see some of the clips that you, you know, you've been able to see from them, you know, on, on social media and whatnot, man. There's some there's some intriguing stuff there. B mac I just love that you use the term getting your beak wet. You're just a true you're a true Jayhawk. I know what you're doing. I want to talk to you about the back seven
0: right after this break. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app, find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just
3: search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform
0: Thanks to everybody
1: that's hanging out with us. Feel free to leave a five-star review on the channel if you're listening. You're going to have KU football coverage all year round. Uh, or all season, by the way. Uh, all, all season. And you're going to have some all year round, too, for sure, because we're going to have some coverage as well. Booth review, we kind of we, we kind of take you through the season, but you're going to have stuff on, on KC Sports Network all season long. Uh, I want to talk about the linebackers, and I just want to just sing some praises real quick for, I think, one of the most fun schematic pieces that I think Brian Borland has his, at his disposal. I love Craig Young. I love what Craig Young does for this defense. I love, you know, the skill set he possesses. I love how they've utilized him in year 1. I think, you know, uh in in KU or in Kansas. I I loved what they did with Craig Young and I don't think people appreciate the diversity of skill set that it allows Brian Borland to have because he does have a background as a linebacker. So he has some of the physical traits that you like as a linebacker. He also has some safety background. And so having a little bit of that hybrid hybrid ability, comfortability, covering in space, comfortability in coverage, being able to drop, you know, with ease, that can be a really great asset to have for a defense, trying to
2: play a little big, trying to play a little small. Absolutely. And shout out to Brian Borland, a Baker Wildcat uh, for a time as a coach. I know that's not your favorite team, but come on, man. Excuse me, brother. That's the why I saw the ladder. I'm just okay. giving them some the love. All right. All right. You're stoking any you rivals. Uh-huh. Here. It's okay. Hey, they didn't beat us while I was there. We're good. <laughs> there you go. That's what you hold on to. That's, <laughs> That's what you hold on. I'm three and two against Mizzou, three and two against K-State, don't you forget. There you go. Um, so, what I like about Craig Young, and I, I'll speak to this, is that he is the answer that you're looking for as a defensive coordinator. Because people play with pace, because they spread the field, You Mm -hmm. want a guy that can do both. You want a guy that's big enough to tackle and play in the box and athletic enough to guard slots and tall enough to guard tight ends. There aren't that many of those people. I mean, there's just not a lot of those people. What makes Craig interesting is that all the versatility he brings you in coverage, he also brings you that versatility and physicality in the run game and in the pass rush game. I just look at him as every possibility exists for him this season. Like if he if he were to be uh in the running for defensive player of the year in the Big Twelve, that would not surprise me just because of his what he's capable of from a skill set perspective. Like how many people can literally rotate to safety from a base position? Yeah. See him rotate to deep safety and just run cover three. Done. And there just aren't that many people that can do that. And the people that can are not six four and two twenty five. You know, mm-hmm. so that's the that's the combination of skill sets and it's a conundrum. I don't really have an answer for. I thought last year they primarily chose to use his versatility and coverage, but I thought there were games where his physicality would have made a bigger difference. But just, I mean, how difficult is that for a defensive coordinator to have your Jack of All trades be so good at two different things? You got to figure out which one supports the team best for this given given matchup.
1: It makes it makes a lot of decisions on the offensive side of the ball tricky too. And like I think that's one thing I just appreciate about him is. You know what you're. What you can ask him to do, you can ask him to play in the box if you want. I mean, i I like him. I like playing him as an overhang a lot better. But you know, if you want to, if you want to do that, you can. You can leave different personnel groupings on the field for different situations and different personnel groupings that they're going to bring on. And Craig Young makes you respect a lot of different things, big, small. However, you want to play it. Now, you know, it wasn't. You know, it. He he's he's good at a lot of different things. Um, I know some people had, you know, I, I, I've seen some people frustrated with him, but, like, I don't think people appreciate how much he does and how difficult it is to do everything that is asked of him. Yeah. And that's what, I, that's what I appreciate so much about Craig Young and what he brings to a defense. And, you know, you talk about being structurally sound, having a guy that can be on so many different groups and uh, different personnel groups and, and be treated in so many different ways. And still be structurally sound, like that's a, such a valuable asset. Um, I want to talk about the rest of the linebacker group, though. You know, Rich Miller, Taiwan Berryhill—they seem kind of like in the running, you know, as the top two guys outside of Craig Young. Um, but JB Brown seems to be getting a lot of love too, and it, it seems like he's pushing—he's pushing, you know, Taiwan and Rich Miller in a big
2: way. Absolutely, you figure Rich is just a reliable, good player. I've had a lot of fun covering Rich. I've had a lot of fun watching Rich. But I think Rich would tell you he wore down at the end of last season so I'm mm. interested to see him kind of regain that strength, kind of has a better understanding of what it's going to take to get to the finish line. So I just want to see him kind of do those things and then when you talk about Taiwan, Taiwan keeps winning the job. You know, and that's he deserves credit for that. He keeps getting better. He started playing probably before he should have been playing, but it is what it is. He's got to take advantage of his opportunities. I know JB Brown is your traditional veteran tackling machine linebacker. So you know exactly what you're getting from him. So I'm really excited about him as a fourth guy. And a name I'm starting to hear is Cornell Wheeler, which is a name I was excited about when he came here. You know, he mm-hmm. a recruit from Michigan. Starting to kind of crack that backup role to Rich. And if Rich is going to be rested and strong at the end of the year, he's going to need somebody that can step in and play some snaps um, that that could be productive so he can rest and play the money down. Yeah, Cornell Wheeler did the
1: right thing getting away from Michigan. I'm just, you know, as soon
2: as you can. Yeah,
1: get it, get as far away from there as you yeah. I just, you know, I think it'd be it's it's good to have depth at that linebacker position. And, you know, we've talked about it, you know, trust is a big thing. And if you can build a group of players in depth at player at positions, you know, to, to that you have trust in, I can go a long way in helping the longevity of a guy like Rich Miller. You know, so I think you know more linebacker depth is probably it's it's welcome, especially since they lost a little bit of their depth last year. But you know, Cornell Willard, Cornell it's good to see his name starting to pop up. You know, there's been good reports on on JB Brown, but I'll, I'll I'll emphasize this again. I love what you said about Taiwan Hill winning the job again because yeah. he was one of those guys that people were a little bit like, well, why can't the transfers beat him out? Well, because guys keep getting better. And these guys keep improving, and the bar continues to get raised with depth and competition and the standards set by this program. So it's good to see that there's linebacker depth. Another name I want to ask you about is Jason Gilliam. I know there was some optimism for him last year, dealt with some injuries. Any buzz about him?
2: Yeah, he's kind of come back to being the same guy, just bigger and stronger. I think he's the guy that will give Craig some more positional versatility. Um, If you watched in their defense last year, he probably only played Sam. So if Gilliam can be the fourth best player and he plays Sam, then you get to move fifteen around a little bit. Maybe you do play him in the box. You know, maybe get creative with your blitzes with him. I think Gilliam's another guy that gives you depth, gives you smarts, and really gives you a similar skill set. You know, a 6-2, 220 skill set, but kind of doing the same things. I know when he came here uh, as a troop freshman, they were just floored by his his ability as a safety to read the game and react. Uh, he had multiple pick sixes in early scrimmages. This is a a guy that they think is really, really going to be big time, and I, and I agree, you know. So, and now he's got the time to rest and fill a role and not be a necessity. I think he's going to be a guy we hear from as the season
1: progresses. Yeah, that depth's fun. It's yeah. it's fun to have those kind of players. And I mean, I think you know they they might lose Rich Young or Rich Miller and Craig Young, but I think everybody else has at least one year of eligibility left after this too. So that's a, that's a that's a fun group to check out. Let's talk about the let's talk about the defensive backs. Cornerback uh, gets a lot, you know. The Kobe Bryant gets a lot of love. I think Melo Dotson has has I, to me personally. I think Melo Dotson has a potentially bigger NFL type ceiling than Kobe Bryant. I'm really impressed with what both of those guys have continued to put on tape, and they've been both put in really tough situations because they've been needed early in their careers. But I'm really intrigued by both of these guys I like you know Kobe Bryant's the guy that's that's made a ton of plays you know he's made a lot of plays in the football I'm super interested in Melo Dotson too because from a physical profile length more density than Kobe Bryant has there's some things about him that are giving me a lot of optimism about his growth and development as a player that I think he could be a Sunday player when it's all said and done
2: absolutely Melo Dotson last year you know was a guy that the expectations I would say were lukewarm um, you know, they were able to bring in Kaelin Gervin from Michigan State. That's a former mm-hmm. top 50 recruit. Yep. And the conventional wisdom was, oh, he's going to start a corner and Mello will be out of the rotation. Not what happened. Mello came out and had a really strong season. Um, I thought, you know, the Duke game, he'll tell you um, he didn't finish well because he gave up that touchdown at the end. Mm-hmm. He was fantastic in that football game. They were obviously standing away from Kobe, and he competed all day long. He went up and he made plays. He tackled what I like about him and Kobe is how much pride they take in their tackling. They mm-hmm. were they were a group that they knew they had to look in the mirror. Their first year, they were very bad at tackling, and they had to really do something about it. And they they did. They improved a lot at tackling, and it was something that carried on late into the season. I think both bodies wore down towards the end with tackling, but I do think that there was a there was a conscious effort to improve in that area. Well, and I so I just remember two years ago when
1: Leipold and company first got in, in here, a lot of teams loved trying to challenge KU on the edges. They'd throw a lot of quick passes, a lot of, you know, screen game out there and and to your, it's just trying to challenge, you know, younger, undersized, smaller corners to try to make plays and try to tackle and try to work through physicality. And I don't think you saw teams challenge quite as much this year as you, or last season, as you saw two years ago. And that's, I think, that definitely speaks to the intentionality that they had on the out edges. They were much better on the edges. They were more physically prepared. Melo Dotson, he—he's so intriguing to me. I mean, he's got—he's got the six one one ninety is what he's listed out on the KU roster, and who knows, you know, the way Gilder Sleeve and, and that group is going to work, he might be two hundred by now. Like, who knows? But I mean, I just, yeah, he looks the part. And Kobe Bryant, like, I think it's always going to be. It's always going to be tricky, I think, for him to maintain a ton of weight. Just, just how, just how it seems like the last couple of years, his ability to hold on weight. But yeah, to your point, still gives outstanding effort in the tackling. But man, that dude makes so many plays on the ball, and he's got timely playmaking on the football. And that's that's why you see him getting so much love and deservedly so is because that's a guy that he has a knack for it. He has great instincts, and he he reacts so quickly to him. I'm I'm really excited to see what steps
2: he's taken this year. Yeah, he's so slippery, too. You know, the, the game that he really caught my attention early was that Texas game against Xavier Worthy. I mean, he was all over this guy. And you're talking about a guy that's probably going to be a first-round pick. Yeah. He just – he disrupted him. He made him uncomfortable. I mean, he couldn't get separation. You know, uh, Kobe made plays on the ball all night. He had to pick six later on in the game. So, he's a gambler, but he also has great technique. And I've seen him kind of, you know – He's different than Akeem. You know, they're not similar in personality. They're not similar even in, in style of play. He is your traditional, overconfident gambler, and he's got the link that matches that skill set because a lot of guys want to make the plays that Kobe makes. They don't have that kind of link. They don't have that kind of ability to react and get out of a, get out of breaks um, the way that he does. I just love those two, and I love Kalen Girvin on the inside.
1: Yeah, no, Kalen Gervin, he's steady, he's sound, and like he's just a great asset to have because he has the inside outside flexibility. I think he's a good tackler too. You know, he's grown man. He's got grown man strength. Demarius McGee is a as a guy I'm fascinated by. Uh, LSU transfer. That was a big get for KU just from a, a, from a talent perspective. You know, what do you think his role is? He going
2: to get an opportunity this year to be part of this 2D? I do, and you know what's interesting is he's another name that I'm starting to hear more of. You know, in the fall when I in the spring, when I asked, he was like, you know, he's here figuring it out. And as you would expect, you know, some more time in the offseason, some more time with the playbook and solid play. Now you're hearing, okay, this guy can go. So I think he's gonna be a guy that's regularly rotating. Um, especially with, you know, like we mentioned before, if you're gonna play pace teams, you gotta sub. You know, and you gotta sub before you have to. You yeah. Know? So your players are fresh when you need them, and having two guys that can really play the position. Having a guy like Gervin that can bounce inside and out, be a strong tackler, and kind of make your nickel feel like a base defense, I think it's a fun group, and I'm excited to see them kind of achieve high. I mean, and four is a
1: you know four is fine, fine depth, but you probably want more. Yeah. If you're you know if you know, do you think that there's uh, you know a fifth guy emerging, a sixth guy emerging in the cornerback room? Because I do think that this team probably needs to to all the points you made and just for sustainability for an entire season, you probably need more than four capable
2: corners to throw out there on the field. Do you think they have more than that at this point? I do. Quentin Lasseter, who is just the hey. free state firebird. This guy gets his hands on people. He's consistent. And if you want to know what they think about him, uh, opening game of uh, Tennessee, or not Tennessee Tech, uh, opening game the previous season, we're in that tight game with South Dakota. And uh, we ended up getting out there and just playing man, on their fourth down attempt, and guess who was out there guarding the slot? Mm-hmm. He through Lapps. And mm-hmm. that was a few years ago. So that was them basically saying he's one of our best man players on this team, and they threw him out there. They haven't been bashful about putting him out there. And I don't think they will be this year either. He's just so dang competitive. That's interesting.
1: No, that's and that's that's good to know because I mean, I, that's I think the player a position that can get tested very quickly if you don't have have the capable depth. And like I do feel like they might have worn down a little bit at the cornerback position, especially being so young. And like it's great that all all these guys are back and there's another year under their belts and a little bit more age, size, experience. Cause so that's that's pretty valuable. Um let's talk one uh, let's talk about the safety position real quick before we get out of here. Kenny Logan, OJ Burrows. I'll tell you what, I thought Marvin Grant got better and more comfortable as the season went on last year. I'm sneakily very excited to see what he brings to the table. Like I think you know, you know, Kenny Logan's a known commodity. I think O.J. Burrow has actually played really well last year. The guy I'm most
2: excited to watch personally is Marvin. I love Marvin. I love what he brings to the game. I like a real physicality, a real like tone setter. You know, if you run the ball and he has a chance to finish you, you're gonna fill him. Um, he had a big fourth down stop last year where he took on a fullback. You know, you just don't see that from safety. So he's got the versatility. He's got the speed, and he gives them. You know several different types of combinations they can use, but I yeah. honestly think, in the same way I mentioned with Jeremy Robinson, as excited as you are about uh, Grant, it's for me it's OJ. Man. OJ, <laughs> you know you're sitting on the sideline and OJ has made some plays that you're like, okay, uh, what was that? <laughs> I mean I could think of a couple just right offhand. Last year they uh, TCU ran a jet sweep with uh, Quentin Johnston. And you know this is a first round pick. This is a big physical guy. We were actually having trouble tackling him in that game. Mm-hmm. O.J. Burrow runs up to the line of scrimmage, separates from a six seven tight end, makes an open field tackle on him. Early on in the game against K State, they ran a arrow route with Duke, they ran arrow route with Deuce Vaughn on a third and seven, and it was one on one Deuce Vaughn and O.J. Tackle. You know how mean people you see tackle De- Deuce Vaughn one on one. I mean maybe one two times a season, two times a game. O.J. Really. Burrow did that. Uh, the Baylor game he saved that game two or three different times he had an interception on the goal line he had a play uh, they had an RPO they tried to throw a seam to a 6-5 tight end he got separation on that I think the bigger problem is you have Kitty as the reliable playmaking leadership player and they kind of use him for the biggest moment and I start to wonder if OJ is going to continue to grow as a player the way that he has grown as a player how tough is that for a coach to reach a point where you're really wondering, we've got three guys that are so good. I don't know which combination to play right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: No, and that's that's
1: hey, we talked about it last week. that's good problems. yes yeah. depth, chess pieces. um I think there's a lot of there's a lot of players that we've talked about that have earned an opportunity to see the field and that's a good problem yeah. you know having depth is gonna be necessary you know for how difficult you know a college football season is. One more safety before we get out of here. Jalen Dye, Jermaine Dye's kid. It seems like he's been getting some some love uh, of recently. Do you think he's going to get in the mix at all?
2: Yeah, he is squarely in. I think he's a guy that they're really excited about. I think he's a guy that started to impress at the end of last year. I started to hear his name a little bit more towards the end of the season. You know, that's a group that does have four deep now. I think they're very confident in his ability to to kind of rotate and roam. And that's that's goes to your point about versatility. Kenny can play, play both spots. So if you like die in one spot over the other, you put Penny at the opposite spot. Uh you know what OJ can do, he can cover. I bet OJ can come down and play nickel if he had to. Mm-hmm. So you just have a lot of versatility with those four guys. And I've been really excited about his athletic profile and this is his competitive bit. Bmac, this time next week we're going to be previewing a real football
1: game. Woo! Let's go. Let's go, man. I can't wait, man. I'm so excited. But it's been fun first couple episodes previewing both sides of the football for KU. Can't wait to be
0: previewing Missouri State.
1: That's it for Booth view this week. I can't wait. That's Mac. I'm Ken Swanson. We'll catch you later.
0: Peace. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU.